Welcome to the University Club podcast. Today I'm speaking with uh, Pierre Le Pinois. Pierre uh, has been working uh, at uh, BNP Paribas since 1986, uh, where he joined the group as managing the bank's equity investment and M&A business. And as a member of the BNP Paribas New York Executive Committee from 1990 to 2002, he chaired the North America Credit Committee and supervised portfolio management structured finance and asset workout. After heading Lord Portfolio Management in the U.S. and globally from 2004 to 2006, he was entrusted with the management of the bank's global securitization portfolio following the subprime crisis of 2007. We will be speaking to Pierre about this particular period. Um, Pierre holds a degree uh, from uh, Ecole Polytechnique in Paris and an MBA from ENSEE as well. So let's uh, speak to Pierre about this 2007-2008 uh, period. I wanted to talk to you about your, um, your article and more importantly about the, uh, I guess, uh, the, the very important 2008 crisis, you know, uh, what caused it and where we, uh, where we, how we got there and, and it is, if it's possible that it could occur again. But maybe in the meantime, you could give us a little bit more background about you and, you know, be as extensive as you want. Uh, I mean, you, you, you studied okay. in France and then you, you work in New York for a while. Yeah. So maybe you could okay. tell us a little bit more about you. Okay. Um, I've been uh, working for Paribas and then BNP Paribas uh, since 86. Uh, and uh, I joined the, the bank in New York uh, in uh, 2000 or early uh, 1999 actually as um, being in charge uh, within the executive committee of securitization portfolio management and uh, uh, asset workout um, so i was much involved in portfolio management uh, with you patrick sure since that time um, i went back to france then as a um, uh, global head of portfolio management and uh, uh, during uh, the years 2004 to uh, 2006 as I was head of portfolio management New York. Uh, I have a scientific background and uh, I'm an economist as well. Uh, after uh, leaving New York in 2006, I I joined uh, the bank in London as um, uh, in charge of the, the toxic assets of the bank, the subprimes and all that stuff. Mm. Mm. Being previously in charge of portfolio management, uh, the bank thought that I, was, um, I could manage this portfolio of securitization assets, which previously were considered as... Um, trading assets, assets on the trading book because they, they were actually liquid. But when the crisis uh, arrived in 2007, they became illiquid. So the bank needed to, to manage them as um, yeah. a, in a similar fashion as a loan portfolio, which was my previous experience. And I finished my career at the bank uh, as head of uh, ALM, Asset and Liabilities Management, within the um, uh, the security services uh, business in Paris. 
Okay, so it was a quite an interesting career. But uh, let, let's take us back uh, way before that, when you were in in in, um, in, in France, and and you mentioned that you had a scientific background. Where where did you go to school, and why did you study, and 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 how did you you know because a lot of how did you ended up in New York? What 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 was the um? Well, I studied. Uh... Uh, I, I, I was a student at Ecole Polytechnique in Paris, and then uh, I studied statistics and economics at uh, uh, NSAE, which is uh, the school of uh, the statistic, statistical uh, administration in, in, in France, uh, which is INSEE, mm -hmm. National Institute for Statistics. So I went to this school learning economic and, and statistics. Um, I joined. Uh, I did not join the bank immediately. Uh, I worked for uh, gas utility, uh, the French gas utility, and negotiating gas purchase contracts abroad. And I was involved also in a company which made feasibility studies for the World Bank in uh, developing countries in Africa and uh, South America. So the bank was uh, my third career, actually, mm -hmm. but my longest. So, uh, so you were there in two thousand and eight. Uh, and you you wrote an article recently uh, about well, it as well. I was, so, I was in, uh, oh yes, in 2008 I was in charge of uh, the the, um, the securitization assets of the bank, uh, which were stranded at the bank, the subprimes and all that stuff uh, in London. Um, what I learned about this um, uh, this event it was a very dramatic event in on the trading floor of fixed income London. Um, but uh, what happened actually, when I have, I could describe the, um, the mechanics of the Sure, crisis, sure, of course, it's important. And then, and then the, the big picture. Yes. Uh, the mechanics um, result in, resulted from um, mortgage companies, small mortgage companies in the US, which extended loans to households. Um, these, these companies have little capital, so they extended loans, and whenever their loan portfolio became a certain size, they sold these loan portfolios to investment banks. Uh, they, they, they worked actually according to the originate and transfer model, where a company originates and then doesn't hold the, the assets on its balance sheet and uh, sells, sells it. Um, the, um, uh, the loans were sold to investment banks at a higher price than the than par, actually. Why? Because uh, loans in a bundle um, were supposed to be less risky than individual loans. So they originated at the retail level and they sold at wholesale level, making a profit. Every week, they sold a bundle of loans to investment banks, to Goldman Sachs, Citibank, etc., JP Morgan, and made a nice profit. Um, the, the investment banks were subject to or were working according to the same originate and transfer model. Uh, their ways of getting rid of these loans was to securitize them. Um, so... It was at a different uh, uh, scale. It was the same principle that they buy loans and they sell them. 
buy and sell, and each time they sell them, uh, they make a profit, just like the uh, mortgage companies. Um, so uh, they, they sold these loans to the market through securitization. Uh, they sold them also at a premium, uh, which was uh, supposed to be justified by the portfolio effect. Uh, you know, 1,000 loans are less risky than one loan uh, because of the uh, diversification effect, supposedly. Um, so uh, this system worked uh, very well for some time. Um, uh, but I mean, it 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 worked because everyone assumed that. Because I recall when we would get approval to invest in in in, in these portfolios, that you know the the main thing they told us was that uh, well, you know, don't worry because you know it, it would take it would take twenty to thirty defaults before you even start to see a loss. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, they, they seem to be quite secure, um, but actually, um, the loans at the same time, the loans were designed not to uh, default early in the process because uh, they were subject to grace periods. So actually, uh, they, they, they could not. They, 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 uh, uh, the retail uh, household. Uh, could not be fought on these loans in the first years. Uh, the interest were, were very low and there was no principal repayment. Uh, so the system worked well, was based on the diversification effect, um, but it became like a, a duck walking without its head. You know, um, we worked so well that people did not care about the, the real uh, quality of the underlying loans. Um, and uh, when when the, the real estate market declined or topped up um, after years of uh, booming real estate in the U.S., uh, the uh, investors did not discover immediately the investors in the securitization market did not discover immediately uh, the the losses which were coming, the, uh, the defaults which were coming. Uh, there was a big flow in the securitization theory as instead of diversifying risks among many, among many mortgage loans, the loans were highly correlated because as they were 100% related to the real estate markets. So it was a kind of house of cards where the final investors did not know well uh, about the, the underlying risks. Uh, the underlying risks were a bit uh, um, far from their sides uh, because of the securitization uh, uh, framework. Um, these loans, uh, so the uh, issuance of securitization loans amounted to, in 2006, by the end of 2006, it the, the portfolio amounted to two and a half thousand of billion dollars or two and a half trillion dollars. Eight hundred billion dollars were issued in 2006 only. Um, so uh, 
This was the, the mechanics, the theory about secretization, which worked well in a mild environment, but did not work well actually in a, in a stressed environment where real estate collapsed and the uh, uh, problem was the, uh, uh, the remote link between the actual uh, people who made these loans uh, and uh, the investors. Now, this, this was the mechanics of the secretization. Um, in terms of big picture, in fact, what happened uh, in, since the, since the dot-com bubble of 2000, the policy of the Fed was to crush down interest rates to protect the economy. Um, these very low rates uh, generate over time, between 2000 and 2006 or 7, a, a real estate bubble. And also, um, the impact on investors was that the return on investments decreased very low. There was too much liquidity for too few projects. So, uh, under the pressure of investors, the banks tried to generate new products uh, through leverage. And they, they used securitization as a way to generate uh, return. Uh, on, uh, on financial products. Uh, Pierre, you use an interesting word. You use the word leverage. And maybe you could explain to the audience how the, the leverage works in terms of you know, enhancing the little bit of return that there was while increasing the risk. Actually, when you see um, uh, a securitization structure, you have uh, maybe 1,000 uh, mortgage loans which pay maybe, uh, let's say, 2% interest. Um, and that makes, uh, let's say, 1 million loan each, so that's $1 billion uh, with a yield of 2%. When you bundle these, these loans in a portfolio, uh, you may consider that 90, 95 or 90% of the portfolio is secure. That means you, you tranche this risk uh, between the first loss and the last loss. First loss is the tranche which will bear the loss of the first uh, loans in the portfolio. Any loan defaulting will impact this tranche. So this is the risky part of, uh, of the structure, of the securitization structure. Um, as one could imagine that the risk of having 10% of the portfolio defaulting at the same time, the risk is, was considered as very low, so that the 90% of the portfolio uh, would generate, would um, justify a, a yield of, let's say, 1%. So if you finance a portfolio uh, which yields 2% uh, with, um, uh, and you finance this portfolio with uh, securitization bonds for 90% of the portfolio with a yield of 1%, that means that um, the two, uh, we, should, we should do the, the mechanics, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that means that the last 
percent of the first ten percent uh, uh, of the securitization, securitization bonds um, could uh, generate a return of two uh, percent plus uh, ten times one percent, which mm. is ten uh, uh, percent. So, if you do the math. Uh, you can see that uh, the, the, the most risky part of the securitization structure could yield 20%, even more, 22%, uh, uh, sorry, 12%, 12%. Um, so uh, I'm not sure whether that, uh, that's clear to... No, no, that, well, the, the point is, uh, no, the, the average, uh, you ended up, uh, essentially the product that pays 2% end up uh, paying someone 12% to the leverage, yeah. which is quite attractive. Yeah. So this works as long as um, the, the risk on the 90% is really, really low, which mm. was supposedly the case. Um, now, through these structures, by tranching the risk, the banks could generate products which are the first loss piece of, uh, of uh, RMBS or securitization products, the first loss with a very high yield, which was very attractive to these investors. Actually, these investors, in many cases, lost uh, all the invest their investment, but uh, they, they, they are appetite for risk and for yield, for return, uh, just fed the securitization machine, which fed itself the mortgage machine. So uh, the mortgage companies uh, continue to issue, to issue mortgage loans to uh, households and uh, actually less and less uh, 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 secure households or people with uh, less revenues, less stable revenues, uh, and uh, that made the machine uh, run on its own. If you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, so, securitization was the, was the new bonanza. Uh, it made possible to extract high returns by leverage, leveraging low-rate mortgages. But then the house of cards essentially came coming down because of what What was the initial um, spark, I guess? Was it the, 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 I guess it was starting to default, people were starting to default on their loans? The initial spark was the, 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 the bottom, bottoming out of the, um, the uh, topping up uh, of the housing market in the U.S. The prices of house houses try to decline by the or to top up. Uh, yes. sure well, by the end of 2006, early 2007. Um, so when that began to happen, uh, few people realized what was in the cards because. The extent of securitization was not well documented. Uh, people did not know where those, all those securitization assets had ended up, in which portfolio, in which countries, uh, by which investors. Uh, so um, the doubt uh, came uh, that uh, this, uh, this uh, securitization machine might uh, 
might stop one day. Uh, actually, I joined uh, London in, two, in the summer of 2007, and uh, securitization bonds uh, began uh, trading uh, less. Liquidity evaporated little by little. Um, and uh, actually, um, um, it generated uh, lack of liquidity. Some funds stopped uh, redemption. Mm -hmm. The first fund which stopped its redemption actually was a BNP Paribas fund. Um, uh, managed in Paris, which own a few securitization assets, and uh, uh, the bank uh, issued a signal that it would not uh, redeem certain funds for a certain period of time, and that this news made uh, went around the world, and it uh, triggered uh, a lot of anxiety among investors and, and banks. Uh, actually, um, all those securitization assets have been spread out all over the world. Uh, Europe, uh, European companies owned about 20% of this uh, of this huge portfolio of, uh, as I said, uh, about uh, three, $3 trillion. Two and a half issued from the US and a half a trillion issued from uh, Europe, in Spain and the UK particularly. And... Um, uh, then the problem, well, one can see that uh, actually uh, this problem which originated in the U.S. Uh, hit uh, 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 more hard uh, Europe. Uh, why so? Actually, uh, European countries, uh, uh, all in all, the 27 countries of uh, the European Union, uh, have different legislations, different uh, regulations. Uh, each country has its own regulator. Um, the information on who owns what was not available. No country could evaluate the, the extent of the systemic crisis. To which extent was it a systemic crisis? Which uh, investors, which banks needed to be protected or was at risk? Uh, so it was very difficult to to, to manage uh, this uh, systemic risk in Europe, particularly. Uh, it, was, uh, it was due to the lack of, to to the diversity of these uh, countries and those regulations, the lack of centralization in Europe, in the eurozone in particular. Um, so. Uh, Due to this um, lack of information about who owns what, compared to the U.S., where there are centralized regulatory bodies uh, like the Fed, SEC, uh, FDIC, uh, in Europe uh, there was a lack of clarity, which created, which uh, generated a, a crisis of confidence. The banks stopped lending to each other, one to the other. A few banks collapsed. Uh, one was uh, 40s in the in Belgium. Uh, there was uh, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland. Uh, a few mortgage houses in in the UK. So the, all the financing of the economy stopped all at once. No uh, <clears throat> interbank 
market, the LIBOR market stopped, uh, financing of investments stopped as well. Um, and the, each country took measures which were not coordinated one with the other. As an example, Germany banned short selling in 2009, while short selling was authorized in all neighboring countries. So you can see that uh, there was a lack of coordination and uh, each country was uh, at a loss uh, finding the right measure to, to, uh, to stop spreading of the crisis. Um, so how was it to, I mean, you were in Paris at that time, how was it to work in an environment, uh, I mean, I'm assuming it's a very stressful environment and... Actually, uh, I, was in, I was in London from 2007 through 2011, so okay. I, I lived through the crisis. Um, it was a very difficult environment, uh, a lot of stress. Uh, I was uh, I worked within the securitization team, which had a number of securitization assets. Uh, the bank had not originated the subprime loans and toxic assets, but had purchased uh, a few as a as a basis for to make interest rate swaps, as an example. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a, there was a lot of risk, and the bank was scrambling. <clears throat> trying to find out how much of these toxic assets it owned, because there were, there were about 10 trading desks which had purchased such assets as a way to do business with uh, third parties, uh, as I said, uh, interest rate swaps uh, and other, uh, other kind of uh, derivatives. So the first, uh, in the... Last month of 2007, the bank tried to to identify the extent of its uh, toxic portfolio. When it was identified, it was transferred to me uh, in London for from for management, so trying to restructure and sell those assets. The amount was in well, the, the rough number was 10 billion euros. Uh, the value of those assets decreased over time, uh, liquidity evaporated, so the uh, question was, should we mark to market those assets or not? The liquidity has dec declined, so um, it became, uh, became possible to stop marking down these assets on the balance sheet of the bank. Mm. Um, it, it was key for the viability of the bank. Uh, so, um, as the, the marking down of these assets, marking down two markets, would have generated um, kind of collapse of the financial system of the of the banks, of a few banks actually. And you know, when assets were uh, originated or purchased at hundred, and they go down to five, when you have uh, tens of billion dollars of those assets, uh, the, the impact on the balance sheet may be huge and may eat up the equity of the bank. It did eat up equity of a few banks, but uh, the, regula the regulators in Europe uh, allowed the banks to stop marking down these assets. It was, uh, we had a big, it was a big relief for the banks. But still, um, 
the, the, the risk of loss was was huge. So I remember on the trading floor in London, uh, we purchased uh, protection through uh, uh, derivatives. Um, mm. That means we we, sh we shorted uh, a few uh, crossover um, uh, crossover. Uh, uh, structures. Uh, uh, I don't remember exactly the name of it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But uh, well, we kind of um, purchase insurance against the strong decrease in the market value of, of those assets. Uh, actually, uh, um, we did that uh, too late. We failed to recognize the full extent of the crisis. We were always late recognizing it, and uh, when the Lehman brother, brother collapsed um, in October 2008, uh, it was a big hit uh, for everybody uh, in the bank. The bank was full of rumors about other banks failing. Uh, one day we had the rumors saying ING, uh, not ING, um, the Dutch, uh, yeah, yes, the, bank, the Dutch bank, which is yeah, ING, ING yeah. was uh, close to collapsing. Um, so everybody who had um, individual people who had uh, um, uh, savings uh, with AG uh, did sell sell their or redeem their their assets. Um, it was really um, it was very wild. Uh, people were extremely stressed people uh, you had uh, people uh, screaming at each other uh, <laughs> uh, uh, giving big uh, well shooting at uh, tables and cupboards really very stressed uh, environment um, what do you think difficult yeah. what 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 do you think i mean okay we know what 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 caused it uh, you know Synthetically, but what what about the role of the regulators? I mean, were they could they have done something? I mean, I know that rates rates were kept low, artificially low for a long time, which kind of propelled this whole situation. But who was watching the store? I mean, I mean, the rating agencies were still issuing AAA rating for those notes. Where were the regulators or the regulations? Actually, uh, during that crisis, uh, uh, I didn't see the regulators uh, at the beginning of the crisis. Uh, regulators came uh, a bit late after uh, after Lehman Brothers uh, in 2009 and 10 and 11. They revamped the uh, the Basel uh, Committee solvency uh, uh, ratios. Uh, they invented new ratios, new regulations, in order to protect banks from uh, bankruptcy, uh, increasing, uh, they increased uh, actually uh, the level of uh, capital, the level of equity that banks uh, must hold uh, in, in front of uh, these assets, which, which in fact decreased again uh, the liquidity of the market, that means uh, with these additional constraints, the banks were even less eager to lend to companies. So, uh, kind of added to the freeze 
in the in the banking market. Um, the regulators then later on understood that in such a situation we should not impose an increase in the equity of the of the banks on the solvency ratios, but wait for better times to do that. Uh, the regulators were a bit lost. Uh, they did not, you know, the inventivity, the creativity of the of the of the banks in terms of securitization uh, went uh, a bit uh, further than uh, what the regulators did understand. Um, so they made a they made a certain noise which was not appreciated, was not appreciated by the market. They did not actually uh, count the situation. Uh, the action was a bit uh, even, when did add a bit more stress to the stress, mm -hmm. I would say. It's with, um, uh, with some distance uh, later in the year 2012-13 that uh, regulation, uh, well, they issued new regulations which were more appropriate to um, um, to, uh, to protect uh, us against such crises. The regulations, the regulators were focused on solvency, but the crisis was not a solvency crisis, it was a liquidity crisis. Lehman Brothers did fail because it uh, could not uh, could not pay its debtors uh, at a certain, certain point in time. Uh, arguably, it had enough assets to. Well, the assets were higher, were, were worth more than their liabilities, but they were not liquid. So it was a liquidity problem. So the regulators went, went out with re regulation on liquidity only in 2013. So you see. Um, was five years after the crisis. Uh, regulators were not ahead of the of the problem they were behind. So not only did they didn't understand the products that were out there, the impact, and then they focused solely on uh, you know, which is a, I guess it's the idea behind bank. Banks have to be solvent, and they were focusing on that mostly. But you're right; it was uh, there was no more liquidity in the in the. In, in, yeah. in the market, because I know, for example, later on, when in fact recently, when we invested in some of the AAA notes, as a matter of fact, you know, um, unless you sold AAA notes at a loss, n none of them actually defaulted um, uh, at the you know if uh, if you're at the AAA yeah. level of the so. No, this idea that if you had a CLO and everything defaulted, uh, that, that, that's not true. Absolutely. So that was, uh, um, that was my, my, my first input uh, when I joined the bank in, uh, in London in 2007, when, when I was given the portfolio of uh, securitization assets. Uh, when I arrived, people who own AAA assets, which were money good, a lot, a lot of AAAs were money good, in particular CMBS, commercial uh, mm -hmm. loan uh, securitization. They were money good, but, but they traded below par, uh, maybe at 90 or 95, uh, because of the lack of confidence, and, of confidence. Um, because of the, the, the was a kind of a psychological uh, crisis. Um, so uh, these people had these assets they could sell at, uh, let's say, 95, 
At the same time, they had uh, um, subprime mortgages. They could uh, sell at uh, 20 or 30 percent of their power value. So they sold the, the good assets at 95, which was a bad thing because uh, those assets recovered. So I stopped selling those at 95, and I began sell, selling RMBS, real toxic assets, uh, between uh, 5 and, uh, and 30, because uh, the, the loss was clear. But you needed to go into, into the, the, the quality of each individual loan to understand the potential value of those toxic assets. Um, you know, there was... Uh, so, there was a conflict between generating value or keeping, uh, optimizing the value of the portfolio and, uh, on the other hand, protecting the balance sheet of the bank in the near term. Selling uh, uh, RMBS at 20 would generate more loss on the balance sheet of the bank than selling CMBS at 95. So people sold the CMBS. They should have sold the RMBS instead. Mm. Uh, we had this kind of debate uh, within uh, securitization London. Um, another episode I can mention is that uh, in um, November 2008, after the Lehman collapse, uh, Belgian, uh, the largest Belgian bank, Fortis, uh, collapsed also uh, due to lack of liquidity just as Lehman was up. This bank had 40 billion of euros of uh, toxic assets on its balance sheet, compared to the 10 billion uh, at the uh, Paria. and they had not enough uh, equity to to uh, bear this uh, this problem. The Belgian government was not enough was not able to to save this bank. Uh, saving this bank would have made the Belgian government bankrupt. So it's the, um, the head of the Belgian government which uh, called uh, the, the head of the, uh, the French president, which was Sarkozy at that time, asking for help, asking for a big French bank to, to, to save Fortis uh, from, from bankruptcy. Um, this was a very stressful event. Um, and uh, actually Fortis was uh, purchased by BNP for relatively low price uh, after spending about a month um, uh, studying their assets, uh, evaluating the, the value of, the, of their assets. This was day and night work in a very stressful environment. I mean, day and night, it means uh, the full team uh, of uh, about 20% uh, uh, stayed in uh, in the office until uh, two three p.m. When one day I came back from the office at uh, ten a.m. Um, very special environment. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, so then, looking back, um, the regulators weren't there. They didn't really understand what was going on, and by the time they did something, it was way too late. Uh, there was an impact in the stock market and, and, and um, the liquidity market. But so now, could it happen again? I mean, uh, do you think that uh, because regulations came into play, there's a huge amount of them now in terms of requiring banks to have a huge amount of uh, equity uh, 
to bake to fail uh, idea. So going forward, do you think that we have uh, the regular is now back? Even though there's discussion now that uh, there was way too many regulations and, and they may be pulled back. What do you think the prospect is for something like that going forward? I think the financial system is, is much more secure uh, against uh, this kind of event. Actually, the same event could not occur again, I think, because uh, there, there, are, there are kind of firewalls uh, against, uh, against uh, uh, excessive securitization or excessive risk uh, transferred through securitization. Uh, a bank must, must hold much more capital uh, uh, for uh, having uh, securitization assets on balance sheets. Um, the equity of the banks uh, are much higher. Um, in Europe, uh, coordination of uh, governments and regulators is much better. Um, the Banking union has made a lot of progress since the, the crisis. That means that uh, uh, the banks all across Europe, across the European Union, uh, which is now 27 after Brexit, um, must subject their banks to the same super supervision, to one single supervisor, which is uh, part of the uh, European Central Bank. Um, so uh, European governments and the central bank uh, have a uh, much better view of uh, what is going on in the system and the, the amount of risk involved. Um, yeah. So, so why uh, safe? Uh, but then why is it that... Uh, safe, not safe, well, safer, because uh, the next crisis will happen, uh, another crisis will, will happen, uh, maybe from uh, another angle, uh, with, uh, really relating to another market or other structures. Uh, interest rates are still very, very low, which generates, again, a bubble on the housing market in, uh, in many European countries. Uh, so... Um, no, maybe better off, but uh, we're not out of uh, any uh, any risk, uh, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about that because, you know, we went through, uh, you know, in 2000 and um, we had the um, the tech bubble, and now we have we had the 2008, you know, and even 10 years later. Why do you think, mm. you know, I guess maybe from a philosophical point of view? What what creates bubbles? I mean, what I was saying is what what keeps creating those bubbles all the time? Is it the people? Uh, or is it the re lack of regulations? Human condition? Well, the, the bubble the bubbles are created by very low interest rates. First, mm -hmm. by, uh, by the, the, the the eagerness to. Uh, to, to generate uh, to, to, to uh, generate high yields on, on assets, so the, the, the tendency, uh, the appetite for leverage is uh, is always there. Uh, it's uh, I have a kind of a race because between the the, the, the banks uh, creating uh, new ways of uh, generating 
uh, yield and leverage and, and the, the regulators which uh, follow them and uh, try to um, try to extinguish the, the fires a bit uh, after the fact. Correct. So uh, financial crisis, uh, I think, uh, have never have always happened. Uh, uh, I cannot I cannot say where where it will uh, where from it will come. Yeah, you, you uh, know, in, in in the article that you had uh, on that topic, you mentioned at some point uh, the European Union and the fact that it's still very fragmented. Do you still believe that? Do you still that? Uh, the um, actually it was the case. It is less the case because. Uh, the European government and the European Union, um, European governments, I mean, and the European Union recognized uh, that this fragmentation was uh, the reason for for the very poor performance of uh, Europe in terms of economics since the crisis compared to the U.S. Uh, actually, Europe never recovered the the level of uh, GDP uh, of 2006. Since the crisis, while the U.S. have uh, exceeded this level uh, since that's interesting. So the European Europe never got back to no, not quite, no. okay. uh, not quite, or were close to this to this uh, level. But the U.S. has exceeded this level already since two thousand and uh, not sure two thousand and nine. Uh, or no, to, no, sorry, 2011. Yeah. Uh, so we recognized the, this fact, and uh, it triggered um, um, a deepening of uh, the banking union, the launch of the um, uh, Union du marché des, des marchés des capitaux, so mm -hmm. markets union. Um, it uh, triggered. Uh, the transfer of the supervision of the banks, of the European banks, to uh, the ECB, the European Central Bank. So the centralization of this uh, supervision, uh, a fund was created to, in order to uh, um, supply funds to uh, failing, failing banks in Europe in the future. And this fund is funded by uh, all the European countries, so there's a kind of mutualization of, uh, of the means of uh, addressing this kind of crisis uh, throughout Europe. Uh, you know, a big, a big problem in Europe uh, deriving from this fragmentation is, is that uh, European uh, banks, uh, do not invest a lot into other European countries. They do not lend a lot to other to customers in other European countries, um, with a few exceptions. But the banks are essentially uh, even when they are global, they are they are very strong in their home country, but have little exposure in other European countries. Which means that when a crisis um, hits. Uh, a country uh, which with companies uh, getting bankrupt in uh, in one country the, the the losses are not spread throughout Europe they are contained essentially contained in such country uh, which makes the system as a whole uh, less stable uh, each country 
does not benefit from mutualization within Europe um, of, of the risk. Uh, so um, and this is due to uh, uh, different laws, different uh, well, different regulations. Uh, so far, the regulations have not been completely harmonized. Of different uh, regulations. In terms of uh, laws, you have the 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 law of bankruptcy. The laws of bankruptcy are very different from one, one country to the other, which has uh, the impact of having investors and banks um, very fearful of dealing with customers in another in another European country. Um, uh, which means then that uh, the risks are not shared uh, between these countries and uh, capital does not uh, flow easily from one country to the other. There is no solidarity yet between European countries. So um, Europe um, is, of, is sometimes mentioned as the, the, the largest economic power in the world, but it's not an economic power, it's the addition of countries which are relatively independent one from the other. So as small countries, uh, they, are, they are weaker than a mm -hmm. big country. That's, uh, uh, it's an interesting topic. Maybe we should make this a topic of another podcast and, uh, you know, actually the European Union and the you know the fact that they all separated, uh, uh, obviously by language, but also by the you know the the, the tax uh, tax laws, and now what you mentioned now. So that that, that could be an interesting uh, topic yeah. of discussion. So uh, Pierre, I wanted to thank you very much for uh, sharing with us your experience of the of the crisis in two thousand and eight. Um, and uh, let's uh, get back together at some point so we could talk more about uh, other salient topic. I think. Patrick, we have a pleasure to, okay. to share this experience. And, uh, speak to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you.